And now, this is the DDT Wrestling Podcast with DC Matthews and Doc Manson. Doc Manson at Doc Manson, how are things in the sick ward? I've been worried about you. <laughs> All right, DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. I don't think any of us are feeling 100% yet. Myself and my and the missus, we're, we're both over the COVID, at least the certainly the acute phase of it. But myself, I've got like, <clears throat> you'll hear me, I'm going to be clearing my throat and coughing throughout this show. I've got chest congestion still. I've probably got some sort of bronchitis um, lingering, which I suspect will linger for a while. Um, and then Mrs. Manson, she doesn't seem to have any of that. She seems to be pretty much past the, the sickiness. Um, however, she lost her senses of taste and smell. Oh, no. And they haven't really come back. There have been little things here and there, like... Mm-hmm. She's getting whiffs of, of like cinnamon occasionally, um, but yeah, largely not there. So she's been all a mess and doesn't want to eat anything. Mm. Nothing tastes good. Nothing, yeah. you know, like it's we, demoralizing we have, for sure. And, we have an email. I was I was scanning the email oh? uh, titles and um, there is one from two from Mrs. Manson, but one, I believe, where we will be talking about the lack of census. I like I think I said last week when we were discussing it. I lost some senses of taste and smell for a couple days, but I, I, I'm assuming this is not going to be the case, but I know that can linger for a while for some people. So I am hoping uh, that she makes a full recovery. Yes, me too. And soon. That is what I am hoping for. Um, but yeah, so sick not really but kind of not 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 mm-hmm. through it completely but have you persevered and pushed through and you're working non-stop still working on what now working non-stop like you're doing oh your, i mean i took a day off from work i mean you know back doing when this your, whole thing started I doing your exams off. and all of that oh yeah did the exam and then i doing my lectures this morning i, I Knocked over an entire mug full of tea. Well, that's not true. I drank at least half the mug of tea. It was a large mug in the middle of my lecture. So my students got to hear me go, dang it. Do you not swear in front of them? Um, I suppose I would, but my instinct is to not. Um, and so I didn't. Uh, but yeah, it is what it is. I was going to say, I'm sure they appreciate the, you know, the PG rating. Everybody loves. I'm sure everybody loves. Everybody loves PG Doc Manson. That's everybody loves. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Hmm. But yeah, so there's been work and. How did the how did how did the exam go? Bad. I mean, it was fine for me, but they did bad. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that bad, but it's not good. Average was about a 67, mean anyways. So not good, but, you know. And so obviously I got the deluge of emails from folks wanting to know 
how they could possibly do better. What are they doing wrong? Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, one of the things I do after I give an exam is I usually give like a, a process survey um, where I ask for feedback on some things that I'm just interested in, but also, you know, I want to get feedback from them. How long did you study for? How did you feel about it? Did you think it was, you know, just right, too hard, et cetera? Well, you know, what different things do you think you could do next time? What, any suggestions for me? Blah, 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 that sort of stuff. And then I, I, I read through that stuff and I put together usually a, like a short presentation or so just to sort of like show them the data, make some pie charts, see what people said. So that way people can know what the temperature of the class is. Are they really alone in thinking this was the hardest thing ever? Or is there a large contingent of people who agree with them? And, you know, um, so not all of that data is flattering necessarily towards me, but I do think it's important for a like creating a sense of camaraderie amongst the folks in the class one way or the other, I think ultimately it has a positive effect. Um, so as part of this presentation, I gave them the feedback on that stuff. And, but I, I did go a step further. Our learning management system allows me to generate various reports on things. And so basically, I can get a report showing me all sorts of different interactions and data and so forth, right? And like, so one of the things I asked in the process survey is, how long did you study for on average? Was it less than two hours, two to five, six to 10, 11 to 20, more than 20? And, you know, I would say the average answer was probably that six, I'm sorry, the, the, the 11 to 20. So probably like 12 hours or so if I had to guess just looking at that. And so I looked at the learning management system to see if that was supported by the amount of time that students seem to be interacting with the material through, you know, that system. And to their credit, uh, yeah, it was pretty much on the mark, I would say. Um, but like so one of the things that I did though, is like I compared like the total amount of the time that the average student is spending on the course for the entire period for, for exam two. So like the day after exam one, all the way through exam two. And then I also broke out the week before exam two, right? And so what I saw there was, yeah, in the entire month leading up to it, there's people were spending about 18 hours. All right. I mean, that's all well and good. But then you look at the week before and that's 12 hours or so, which means that for the two weeks prior to the exam week, because it's about a three week cycle for these exams. That was only six hours, right? 18 minus 12 is six. So you divide that by two. That means in those two weeks, the only time they spent interacting with the course was basically three hours a week, which happens to be how much time you're in lecture each week um, when you're interacting with that. So that right away tells me, all right, well, you're cramming. You're not keeping up with the material. You're not actually spreading this out. You're not doing the spaced repetition that like I told you on day one was the key to being successful in this course and was one of the reasons why I had previously, you know, arranged the assessments in the course as 10 smaller quizzes to sort of mm -hmm. force people's hands at that, right? And then so I also then there's another report I can do looking at like interactions instead of time. And so like I was looking at every week. And so I broke it down where I looked at every week for exam one and every week for exam two. 
And once again, not surprising, we notice a pattern where there's a high number of interactions on the days that we have lecture. And the days that we don't have lecture, there's some interactions, but noticeably less. And it's a nice back and forth pattern. And when you look at, say, leading up to exam two, I'm sorry, exam one, the first exam, you can very clearly see a very large increase in the amount of interactions, the amount of time people are spending interacting with the content online the two days before the exam. Compare that to exam two. And again, we see the nice pattern on and off days. Then we get up to the exam. Now there was a peak, but only one day before the exam. So very clearly what the data is showing me is that you guys studied less for exam two than you did for exam one. And you're cramming, which is, again, not the recommended method for approaching this course. And so just sort of, again, I, tell, I, try, to, I try to, you know, give context to this data. I do tell them, like, this is not a gotcha thing here. I don't care really what this data says. I just want to share it with you so you guys can see what I'm seeing, right? And so then I hope that you will reflect on this to at least decide whether there is anything else you could be doing to help improve your own performance. Um, And again, I also told them like, you know, these reports, they're only showing me your interactions on our website for this thing, right? Like, I know that's not everything that all of you are doing. Right. This does not represent your full um, your full dedication to the course or whatever. Right. I, I realize you could be downloading slides. You could be looking at them on your own. There could be there could be hours that aren't accounted for here. Right. I don't mean to dismiss that effort. That's important stuff, too. But all I'm trying to do here is compare exam one to exam two with some data that is comparable within itself. Right. So don't pay too much attention to the magnitude of numbers and things like that. What can we learn from the pattern of the data? And it seemed to be pretty well received. I didn't get any complaints on social media. Um, I think they recognize that I am legitimately trying to either help them or more so explain (laughs) what you can actually be doing to do better in this course. Because again, as I tell them from day one, the difficulty of this course is not any of the individual concepts. Like, don't get me wrong. If I sat here and tried to explain the concepts to you, DC Matthews, no offense, you would find them difficult, right? You, you, you're, you don't have the, the background. But all the I'm, students... I'm still, I'm still stuck on whatever you said, 18 minus 12. Like, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still trying yeah, to muddle okay. through that. Fair enough. But like, you know, like all the students in my class have passed organic chemistry which is a traditionally very difficult course that a lot of people, a lot of institutions consider a real weeding out course. You know what I mean? And like, they're capable of this. They have the background. Even if you didn't do well in organic chemistry, you got through it. So I know you can get through this also. Um, But again, the, the, the challenge of my course is not that any of the concepts are difficult. You got through the earlier chemistry stuff You've seen a lot of this before. The challenge now is the sheer volume of information that you're being asked to learn. That's it. There's no individual concept that's difficult. It's that you're being asked to do a lot. The only way to compensate for that 
is to spend more time on the material. Come back to it regularly and just keep refreshing yourself on it. You also do practice questions. Identify where your gaps are so you can target your studying to the things that you are having trouble putting into practice answering questions. But ultimately, there's not going to be any other solution other than you got to spend the time and you got to be focused on it when you're spending the time. Sorry, it's not a satisfying answer. I, I, have, I have multiple things to say. Yeah. Number one, up until just a few minutes ago, I've never in my head, being someone who grew up very nerdy, I've never before had the thought in my head of give me your lunch money, but give me your lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to beat me up, huh? All right. Okay. I'm a nerd. I, I, I it, it. It, was, it was equal parts. It was equal parts. Uh, just, you know, that sort of like nerd but then also incredible jealousy that you were like, I want to know what the mode was for your class. Like, what was the mode? What I don't was know the, the mode. Com- I know the mean and the median, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the mode. I didn't look. I didn't. I, I don't tend to check the mode. I only check the mean and the median. And then and then I also had a moment where you said that many students claim to have studied 11 to 20 hours for this exam. And I reflected on five years of college. I don't know that I studied 11 or 20 hours. End of sentence. And so let me also add this because I also showed them this. I said, look, so on this exam, there was about a dozen people who got a 100%. Wow. So I, I didn't check them all, but I just I spot checked. What were they doing? that resulted in doing very well on this exam. And you guys aren't going to like this answer either, whereas the (laughs) average student was spending 12 hours in the week leading up to the exam. Of the ones that I checked, they were all spending three times as much time. We're talking close to 40 hours prepping for this exam. Now, as I told them, I'm not, this is not me suggesting you should be spending 40 hours four prepping days, for my exam. Four days. All right. It's yeah. obviously an extreme, but it underlines but it what works. I am saying yeah. in terms of the more time you spend with the material, the more likely you are to do better. And then I also have a report that I pull out of the LMS again that shows everybody's every single grade shows up as a dot. There's our total score in the class so far, and it shows interactions. And the report puts a nice regression line on a nice linear line that you can look at. And it's very clearly this very sharp upwards line with a nice positive slope. And so you're looking at it. And so what that tells you is, just like I'm telling you, the people who are spending more time with the material mm-hmm. on average are yeah. doing better. There will always be outliers. There will always be somebody who spent 5,000 hours studying this thing and they still didn't do well. But on average, this is the approach that pays did off. You, did you look that up? Did you look up the outlier? Like, who's the, who is the person that the, the ratio it's actually easy studied to do. the most and did the worst? I, I mean, I just, I just took a screenshot with no identifying information on it. But that actual report comes back as an interactive graph where all I have to do is mouse over one of the dots. And it tells me exactly who it is. Wow. And, 
Yeah. So, yeah. There's a lot of really I, good data you can get out of these learning but, management So here's systems. the thing. I don't know. Granted, I did not take many, any, any involved science classes. But at no point can I remember sitting in any course where someone broke down the exam data for us. Correct. And I don't know that many professors do, which is all the more reason why I think it's important to show it to them. One, because it does let them know that the things that I am saying, the things that I'm recommending, aren't just me saying willy-nilly, you should spend more time with this. Because that just seems like the absolute laziest advice a professor could give you, right? Mm -hmm. But it's correct. Yeah. And here's the data that supports that. And if you're in my class, at some level, you can appreciate data. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in this class. So I feel like it helps them get past themselves in some ways. Helps them identify, oh, this really is what I have to do. At least that's my hope. And I hope that the other part of it is they can see that I'm not an idiot. And you can sit here and claim all day long that my exam was too hard. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you guys only study the 24 hours before the exam and you're mad that this exam had a lower average than the first one. Sorry, folks. Like, you're not, you're, this isn't on me. So between the exam changes yeah. that you're, you've made and now this. Oh, and I, I should also mention at the end of this, the other thing I did was I pulled out, because again, I can get all sorts of statistical reports. I just basically went to the exam and I got the three questions that were most difficult, the ones that most people got wrong, the, yeah. the highest percentage of people got these three wrong. And so I showed them those three questions. I put them up on the board. And I was just like, here's the first one. Here's the full question and answers. Who knows what the answer is? Why is that the answer? All right. So let me ask you a question. Everybody in the room. How would you study to prepare yourself for this question? Right? And for this exam, the three most difficult questions, all three of them were what I would, well, maybe not the last one, but there are two of them anyways, are lower order in terms of like the Bloom's taxonomy, right? They're just memorization sure. questions. Like the only way you would get this question right is if you just knew the fact, right? And that, and that was the thing I stressed to them. I was like, listen, on my exam, I have hard questions. I know you guys know and you feel like some of these questions are hard. Like I give you case studies where I give you an example and I'm asking you to figure something out or I give you a table with data in it and you have to synthesize that information and draw a conclusion, right? You guys... You should be proud of yourselves because you're getting, on average, those questions right. The ones that we're getting wrong, the ones that the majority of the class, the three most difficult questions came down to, did you have this fact memorized? Did you have this fact memorized? The last one was a calculation, which is technically a higher order question as well. But it's not really because this was literally a question where, do you know the equation or don't you? It was literally a straight plug and chug question. There was no trick to it. There was no, oh, I have to get this different form of the equation. It was literally just straightforward. Take the information in the problem, plug it into the equation, enter the answer. That's it. And so I was like, and listen, like 
based off of the number of people got this wrong, was it was over two-thirds of the class that got these three wrong. If everybody had gotten these three right, which we all agree are relatively straightforward, easy questions. If everybody had gotten these three right, that would have brought the average up to a 75 or a 76. I get a lot of nodding and blank stares and, you know. Yeah. But, but again. Do you, get, do you get pushback? I should have brought a notebook because there's so much that that I want. Do you get any pushback or are there any discussions on moving away from questions that are just a factual answer? Pushback from whom? I don't know. Stu- maybe not students. I'm listening to you and you're talking about you have tables and synthesizing data and you're using all the great higher order thinking questions that, you know, is something that is shared between um, our two disciplines. But, you know, those sort of in, in a world in which. And maybe this is just showing my own ignorance in a world in which Google exists. Yes. Just knowing a fact is something that I could easily figure out the answer to rather than having those higher order thinking skills that I need to synthesize, calculate. If it were up to me, yes, I would cut all of those lower order questions. questions. Yes. However, I have done that in the past, not in this course per se, um, but I, 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 I experimented with that when I was still the lab manager for introductory biology. And the thing, and again, so the, so the, my experience on this most recent exam does not support this. So, and I was actually surprised by this last exam, but typically speaking, those fact recall questions tend to be easy questions. They tend to be the questions that the majority of people get right. Yeah. And when you're making an exam, you need some of that. You need some of that because for like it or not, our system is set up in a way where the average is supposed to be a 75, right? I mean, you can say maybe it's supposed to be a little higher than that or not, but in the traditional way of thinking about it, and a C is average. That's a 75. Um, if you just ask all difficult questions, the average doesn't come out to 75. The average comes out to a 50, which is very much failing here in the American system of education. So it just doesn't work. You need to have those questions that in theory act as a buffer and sort of help get those grades to where they should be. And they're not useless. Students are still proving that they know that information, um, which is part of, I think, why you test them at all. It's not so much because like, don't get me wrong, like I fully expect the day after you finish my course, you have forgotten almost 100% of everything you learned, unless you're one of those people who are going to take the MCATs and you've got some reason why you're holding on to it, right? So in my mind, like a course, the the purpose of a course isn't necessarily um, to prove that you learn something at the end of it. it. It's to prove that you can learn it when you have to learn it for a reason, especially like, you know, as preparing these folks for careers in science, in research, like one of the things when you earn a PhD, I think is, well, I don't know if this is true for the case of everybody, but I feel like one of the skills you learn is 
you gain the ability to learn any system as deep as you could possibly go, right? You learn how to follow that thread to the maximum depth possible. And I feel like you could, you could learn and understand anything if you take your skills and apply it to it. It's not about the facts that you know. It's about the techniques that allow you to drill down into something that you put your mind to figuring out. And I think that's ultimately the purpose of all the classes you take as an undergraduate is proving I can drill down into biochemistry and I can know it for these 14 weeks. I can know it. I might not retain it, but I was capable of learning it for a period of time. I feel like that's really what our system is set up to prove that a student actually learns, like just being realistic about how the whole system is set up. Um, where was I going with that? I don't and know. you think you think that that's what's happening in most college classes? Yeah, I do. Across the country, is people proving that they as proving they can regurgitate that information I, for fourteen weeks? Okay, I was going to say, think of our friends. <laughs> yeah, I guess they were. I mean, they all did I, it, right? They all got they all got their degrees. I suppose that's true. Do they still know true. any of that information? No, that, we've had that discussion many times about the the need for these undergraduate classes anyways. I, can't, I get what you're saying. I can't solve a multivariable calculus equation anymore. I got an A on it 20 years ago, but I wouldn't even know the first thing to do when looking at it now. I imagine it'd be like riding a bike for you. You'd jump right back. Well, that's the, the point, though. I feel like if I did have to learn it again, within a week or two, I probably would have it down again. Mm-hmm. Um. But And that's what earning the degree is. It's proving that you were capable of learning all of those things, at least at one point in time. Yeah. There are certain things, there are certain little pockets of knowledge that I have that pop up often when I'm doing a crossword puzzle or something. And it's one of those things that it's like, I don't know that just because I do a lot of crossword puzzles. Like that's, a, I remember learning that fact in such and such a class. I couldn't tell you the context. I couldn't tell you what I learned the day before or the day after, but for whatever reason, that stuck in my head. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think what we've proven here in these last 26 minutes is that Doc Manson needs to be the face of the, 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 ch- the leading the charge to change higher education for the better. The exam system makes sense. Going through and showing this is what you did. Not only that, these are the questions most of us got wrong Let's not just show you what the answer is. Let's talk about how we would go about figuring out the answer to that. Yeah, I think that's all important. I mean, but nobody's doing it. And so that's so we need to lead the besties. We need to band together. We happy few. And, and you know, and this is a TED. This is a TED talk. That's what this is. Yeah. You need to do a TED talk. Maybe because this is. This I will tell some- you, though, nobody in my field of positions above me is very supportive of any of the things well, of course I said. Not. Nobody of wants the amount to change of, anything. Think of the amount of work that you're asking them to do. How much time, and I understand it probably didn't take you a ton of time, but how much time did it take you to break down all of the data, data, however you say it, from exam two? I mean, not long, but at the same time, Yes. How, most of the, how long? I don't know. Half hour. Okay. 
I don't think a. But that's the yes. Know, that's exactly it, though. Most of these people, like if I told them that they can generate the re- these reports in our learning management system, and these are all other professors, they'd be like, "You can." Never mind not knowing how to do it. They would. I mean, yeah. They would. They, would, they wouldn't even. They wouldn't know it existed in the first place. No, they don't know it exists. They don't know how to do it. And they're not going to take the time to think about why it would help because they're going to get paid reg- to do it exactly the same way. There are times in my field. Here's this new great thing that we're going to do. This is our new, you know, won't this, won't this work great? Won't this help? I'm sure that it could, or I can continue doing things the way yeah. I've always done. I mean, it's so like, I do understand that hesitancy to change. Like, why are we always trying to come up with new methods of educating? The old systems worked like, but that's, that's a silly sort of bias that from people who learned in the old systems. Yeah. The old systems worked. Nobody's denying whether it worked or not, but the question is, did it work with as much with, with the most amount of efficiency possible? Were there students that were left behind who didn't need to be left behind if we just changed our approach? Exactly. So like what and and what you're discussing right now, there's just that that whole thing should be every not only freshman level college class. We should be seeing some of that in high school. Yeah. Like, it's amazing it, to me because, again, most of the, my students taking this class are juniors or seniors. They're they're at the end of their college careers. And for a lot of these people. Right. I mean, maybe they'll go. Some of them will go to grad school and they'll continue on. But um but the number of them that come to me and really seem to have no clue how to study this material. And at the same time, like, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. I, I'm a smart guy, DC. I don't know if you know that. I think I'm a smart guy. When I was an undergraduate and I was taking biochemistry in my junior year, I didn't fucking know how to study for it. No. I, I would venture again the 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 shock that I felt at the notion that somebody would study even six to ten hours. And don't get me wrong, single- I do think six to ten hours is a perfectly reasonable amount of time to study this material. Yes. But the question is, if you take, say, a practice exam and you don't do as well as you had hoped, are you going to go back and put in the extra effort? But that's it. I Some folks are going to learn it in six to ten hours. Some folks are not. Some folks are going to need 40 yeah. hours. But that, Is that realistic? No. You have a life. You have five or six other classes you're in. They also need your time. So, yes, I get it. But that is literally what this takes. For you, potentially. Yeah. Not for everyone. No, for me, definitely. Well, maybe. But you didn't take I organic mean, chemistry. So you're starting, you're starting behind the curve. You don't have you don't have the prerequisites, you know. So, you know, you I took bio one oh two and we know how that went. So very well, I'm presuming. No. <laughs> no, it did not. Well, yeah. I I continue to be impressed and amazed. I knew all of those years where you were toiling in the lab, pining for the chance to do more. I knew that you would be good at it. I don't know that I knew you would be this good at it. 
I don't know if I'm this. I'm not. I thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Although I don't know how good at it I actually am. Um, I I, I want to hear for all the besties, whether you went to college or not. Maybe it's even high school. You just heard for half an hour, Doc, talk about uh, exams, studying, education, all of that. Please heap the praise upon him so that he knows like that how good he is at what so he like does. last semester too like I, I did show them like the breakdowns of the grades like i gave them a histogram showing them the buckets like you know this many people got a c this many people got a b mm-hmm. etc and i still show them that when i break down the averages and all of that but one of the things last semester that i explained to people and was so a normal distribution actually is not normal when it comes to grades. Um, The reason why is, well, what you really should be seeing is a negatively skewed curve, which is to say the mean should be less than the median. And what that means is more people are doing worse um, than are doing better. There, there, there are more people falling below the average, right? But that's actually the way that a limited data set based off of a 100-point grading system should look. Um, if the average is a 75, it's very, and I, I try to explain this to people, it's very, um, it's relatively more difficult to score above a 75, right? There's only 25 points from 75 to 100, assumingly you can't score above a 100%, right? You only have 25 divisions of points that you could possibly score above the average. Below the average, you have 75 points. You can get a zero on an exam. It's easier, relatively speaking, to score below the average than it is above simply because of the number of um, divisions there are above and below the average. And you'll find that any sort of real raw grade data set typically will look like that, especially if we're not talking about an infinite population, some perfect theoretical population of infinite size, right? Now, that's not to say you can't get professors with a perfect normal distribution. You can, but that's usually because they've been at it for years, highly fine-tuning the exam, changing questions here and there until they artificially create a normal distribution. The data naturally does not want to follow a normal distribution. And so like I try, I I have tried to explain that to students before. I I also explain it this semester. Um, but last semester, I got you know feedback on my evaluations that I was trying to manipulate them and, and trying to explain wh- away why the average is low. And so like I do try to, this semester, I gave them that caveat. I was like, listen, of course I would say this. Like I'm not trying to manipulate you. I've had people accuse me of that in the past. All I'm doing is I'm trying to explain to you the statistics according to my understanding of the statistics. I'm trying to help you see what I see so you understand why I make the conclusions that I make about these things. You can agree with me or disagree, but I think you'll find the facts support the things that I am saying. 
Um, and so I'm kind of curious this semester, now showing them all of this data, which I've never done before, how many people I'm going to get complaining on my evaluations. Again, similarly with those sorts of things. Ah, trying to manipulate us, trying to make us feel bad. I really do try to, to have the conversation with them you know, up front. I'm like, I'm t- I tell them, like, this is not a gotcha thing. I'm not mad at you. I'm like, this is nothing about that. Because, like, you know, there are professors out there who would spend this entire time talking about, oh, you didn't perform the exam. They'd be yelling at you, right? That's not what this is about. This is about just looking at the data and seeing what that tells us about the way the class is performing on average. And then you all get to go home and decide whether or not there's anything in here that you want to do because of what this data has shown you. That's all that this is. Um, And we go through it. Um, But yeah, I'm just sort of anticipating the evaluations that are going to be negative as a result. Uh, I can understand certainly that viewpoint because when people are doing bad, they want to blame anybody but themselves. Sure. But I I don't know. I try to be as upfront as possible. And I I like to think that the majority of the people in the class understand what I'm doing. Ultimately, hopefully they find it helpful and it will inform how they go about approaching not just this course, but hopefully all of their courses in the future. Um, because I, I do think that if they learned about some of this stuff earlier in their educational careers, um, they would feel more directed and less like unsure of how to even approach some of these courses. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Well, people are going to naturally... Anybody who doesn't do well is going to find some way of getting back at you on oh, the yeah, evaluation. For sure. So that that thing. So. Kudos to you, sir. That's what I say. Uh, how much of your lecture is spent kind of doing this meta stuff versus how much of it is a, like how much time did you spend in a lecture going over exam two? Um, that was probably about. 20 minutes of a 50 45 of a 50 minute lecture yeah um but mind you again i was only once right we have 40 lectures throughout the semester essentially um i only did it after exam two after exam one i did a shorter breakdown maybe i spent five minutes showing them the histogram of all the buckets and then Mm -hmm. i also did a process survey where i showed them some of the results from that well, that was maybe five minutes, no more than 10. If you had, have you had any students who want to come to your office to look at their specific data? Not the and data. Would you, and would you do that? I would, absolutely. Um, I do have people who come and want to look at the exam and want to see specifically what they got right and wrong and all that stuff. And they want to go over that, look for patterns. Um, and I'm happy to do that with them. But no, nobody has asked me to pull up a specific report just on them. Although I will tell you the next time somebody comes to my office after getting a 50% on all of the exams and then at the last minute claiming I did everything I possibly could, you better believe I'm going to pull up that report and be like, oh, yeah, looks like you studied for one hour for all these exams. So did everything you could, huh? I feel seen. I feel seen. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, no wonder you're, you know. You're a busy guy. How is Shocktober? We're we're almost halfway through the month. Oh, uh, so um, I'm doing I, a different challenge this year. Yeah. So this year I'm doing a challenge that's called October. 
And what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to get through every day of the month of October. And it's going pretty well so far. I've made it to the 11th. I'm 11. I'm 11 for 11. Yeah. So I feel you. The October challenge is going pretty well this year, DZ. We did not. um, I don't even want to say it. We have had a different month than you. But I definitely feel like in some ways it is just body blow after body blow. And I'm just trying to like make it to the end of the Klingon pain circle. You're tur- you know what? You might not have known you were doing it, but I invite you to join the October challenge this year. I, I'm in. Get through it with me, DC. I don't usually do the challenges. I don't do Shocktober. Um, I don't do whatever the challenge is in November. Um, <laughs> oh, that's the month that you write a novel, right? Is that what it is? I thought I thought I thought it had to do with almonds. That's a different uh, November challenge. I don't. I, I'm definitely not doing that one. Um, are you familiar with what happened on AEW Dynamite with Juice Robinson and how that is being construed in term? So Juice Robinson, former CJ Parker, uh, who is that? NXT. Was that the hippie guy? The, the the hippie guy. Okay, yeah. Okay. Who is now, he's known as Juice Robinson. He went to New Japan. He did the dojo system. He's now part of the Bullet Club. I remember he had some good buzz around him a few years ago, but I feel like I haven't heard anything Um, recently. He's dating Tony Storm, which is neither here nor there, but that is just also how he is well known. Um, Part of the Bullet Club with Jay White and Billy Gunn's kids and all of that weird sort of offshoot Bullet Club. And I guess his one of his things is he carries around a roll of quarters rather than brass knuckles. And, uh, you know, in Jay White is in a feud, I believe, with MJF right now. And so Juice Robinson had on the the roll of quarters, the name Friedman. And so now people are taking that as, you know, he is targeting someone. I don't know if he said anything that specifically claims that he's targeting him because he is Jewish. But now people are saying in the current climate, it was in poor taste to have his name on there. And so that, that is the the name of the guy. I don't know. There is probably, Mm. like I said, information, but again, we were, we were, let me see here. Is juice Robinson, a notorious anti-Semite or something. Not that I'm aware of either character or as the person behind the character no because otherwise it just seems like a a silly wrestling thing well that's it and mjf you know used it as an opportunity to plug some sort of charity standing up to jewish hate sort of thing so like clearly he you know and like you know I, i current climate probably would say you know don't do it but i mean wrestling for years has gotten cheap heat from real life situations i mean muhammad hassan says hello yeah you know like it wouldn't be beyond a carny to to try to generate some buzz from a hot button current event i'm not saying they should i'm against it if that was the purpose um Mm -hmm. But like it's so, not the okay. first time it's happened. TMZ picked up the story. So apparently in promos in the past, 
MJF has said that when he was a teenager, bully, I know this is quoting from TMZ, quote, bullies would pelt him with quarters and tell him, pick it up, Jew boy, pick it up, end quote. Now, that's not why Juice Robinson had the quarters. That's literally his gimmick is he just does the role of quarters thing. But this is just one of those, again, out of curiosity, does he take the role of quarters out of his trunks? I have not seen it, but I would imagine. The reason why I ask is because I think there's this old tale. I don't know. It's it's just about wrestling. I've always heard it in regards to wrestling, but it could be any sort of athletics, I suppose, with skin tight, whatever. Um, That's a common thing, supposedly putting quarters in order to enhance the size of your package or the roll of quarters down below, right? Why wouldn't you use half dollars? I imagine you would if you like thought ahead far are, enough. I was going to say quarters. Are not so it's kind of humorous cursing. to me if that is, in fact, where he is pulling these from, because it kind of yeah. has that connotation in the back of my brain also, um, which just kind of makes it funny. It's just, you know, so the so the big thing was we've got we've got uh, Adam Copeland, the ledge. And is that what he's going by? And no, but uh, in NXT or not in AEW. um, Last night, Dynamite was on a special Tuesday night. NXT, whether it was because of that or not, John Cena was part of it. The Undertaker made an appearance. Um, You know, all of these major talents were on NXT and so it was setting up it's the Tuesday night war and it's NXT versus AEW and then I come on to social media this morning having fallen asleep around 8:30 and missed the entire Tuesday night war and one of the first things I see is this thing about Juice Robinson and his quarters and I was like they can't get out of their own way and again this this is taken out of context. I don't think it was as big of a deal as many other people seem to be, but it's just, once again, I understand that controversy creates cash, but I personally think that social media only exists at this point for hot takes. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Unless Juice Robinson came out, threw the quarters on the mat, and said, pick them up, Jew boy, pick them up. Mm -hmm. Like, you're just looking to find problems with everything on social media. I would be more taking into fact that their entrance, Jay White comes out. He has, I don't know if he has the CM Punk's real world title, but he has gold that doesn't, I think, belong to him. And the rest of the Bullet Club are on, like, plastic tricycles riding around him. I'm like, that to me is potentially, why? Why are you on tricycles? Uh, But yes, you said the hot takes. The hot take I saw for NXT was at the end of the show, uh, Undertaker chokeslams Braun Breaker. And look, look, they're burying Braun Breaker. He he got chokeslammed by an old man. It's like, okay. I, I will say, freely admitting it, I will say, I'm getting even closer now to the point of being like, I knew you were right. Always doc was right. That's kind of the, the theme of this. I, I always knew that series so far. I, I always knew that, but I, I'm happy to hear it out loud. But yeah, I'm like, I, 
the joy and maybe it's because I think a lot of the, you know, the besties are off doing their own things or they've got stuff going on. Love you, Banks. Um, but uh, it's just, it's not fun. It's, it's not fun. You click on something and I'm like, oh, let me see what's trending. Let's see what happened on hashtag AEW Dynamite. Okay, I'm depressed. Let's look at, oh, 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 oh you're my favorite person. Thank you. You, don't, you don't sound depressed anymore. He sound I, pretty thrilled. I was depressed about social media. And then the most beautiful woman in the world came in bringing homemade apple fritters. I didn't know Mrs. Manson went to your apartment. Very nice. Well done. <laughs> well done indeed. Uh, no. The side benefit of recording in here in a different room um, is that my wife had the kitchen and, sh- and she made treats. A surprise so. has occurred. Mm. So good. So good. Right. Well, Doc, uh, before we know it, an hour's up and we haven't gotten to our emails. And there are seven of them. Well, you better start answering some emails. Podcast at DDTWrestling.com. <clears throat> I don't think sender note is an actual email, but I just wanted you to see what it says there. Do you have sender note? Sorry, I do not. Okay. The, t- the, the, the title is unseen, and then it says, this is infoaming email for you. And there's an attachment. I'm just going to delete. But I just, that was, so we have six emails then, unless I'm missing one. No, uh, uh, six. Yeah. All right. First one I see is from Glenn, Sleepaway Camp, Walking on Eggshell. Hi, guys. Just a few words about the last great episode of Sound Scary, which, of course, was the episode on Chopping Ball because the actual last episode was terrible. GQ, if you're having a heart attack, I just made all of that up. Let me read the actual email. Uh, Just a few (laughs) words about the last great episode of Sound Scary, and I hope GQ gets to hear this, too. I think Doc and GQ did a good job with the delicate subject of a controversial horror film of the 1980s, Sleepaway Camp. I want people to listen, so no spoilers for me. But as a youngest adult, when that film came out, my pals and I went to see the latest slasher of the time. We enjoyed it as such. And although the ending was a bit of a surprise, we thought no more about it. Looking back on it now, it's a whole different kettle of fish. But I thought the guys covered it with care and sensitivity without taking away the fact it was a good slasher for its day. It's like a lot of things from the 1970s and 80s. They have to be taken for their time and not scrutinized too much on today's standards. Thanks, as always, Glenn, double N, period. I will say, like the one thing I, I agree that you really do have to remember the context with which a film came out and all of that, but I also agree with the modern sentiment, right? Like, just because that's where we were as a culture and like that movie was able to get made, doesn't mean that the depiction in it was right. Even back then, it wasn't appropriate. Um, it was never appropriate. I agree with that assessment. But you also have to understand that society advances and we're not always capable of identifying or expressing the things that are appropriate or not at the time. Sometimes it's only with 2020 vision that these things become elucidated. And it's okay to admit that a movie from 1983 does a poor job of representing 
an entire group of people. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. You shouldn't make excuses for it. It's because it did do a poor job. But it's still okay to watch it potentially and to mm-hmm. form an opinion about it with the modern lens. Thank you. What'd you get? Brownies. Nice. I'm surprised. I thought I was going to get a pretzel. This is even better. I was going to say. Um, I I think we may have mentioned this before. I can't recall. Why would you put fish in a kettle? Why would you put monkeys in a barrel? Why do they call it a TV set when you only get one? Why do you drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? Why do they call a women's prison a penal colony? You know why. I do. All right. Thank you to Glenn. Oh, my goodness. We have not heard from this person in quite a long time. Tim, it has, as your email title suggests, been far too long. I'm chewing brownies. Hey there, besties. Doc has taught us all a valuable lesson. Regardless of how busy we are or how (laughs) miserable we feel, there is always room for DDT in our lives. (coughs) With that said, Doc, I hope you are feeling better. DC, I hope the inevitable paper cuts from the mountain of index cards are healing as well. I'll tell you, Tim, I'm kind of off the index cards. Kind of off the index cards. I started a new position at work, a temporary role for six months with the training team. Essentially, I am now a teacher. Welcome to the dark side, Tim. It makes all of the stories you both, along with my wife, who is also a teacher, my wife, all the more real and impactful. DC, my wife has told me more than once about a child sneezing into her face or directly into their own hands and then reaching out to her. Little humans are repugnant. Baseball has ended for the kids finally, and the twins are facing a two-to-one deficit at the time of this typing. Positive vibes in the future? Please? No questions. Just love and admiration for what you do. Tim. Uh, Tim, I encourage you to reach out to our other bestie, Nate. You can commiserate on the uh, Minnesota twins who are not doing great in their series with the uh, Houston Astros. So, uh, yes, indeed. Although they won at least one game. Um, the, uh, the Baltimore Orioles got swept, which was sad, but that's okay. All right. Uh, yeah, working with kids is no joke. No joke, indeed. Uh, Nate comes in. I don't know what to put here. Good evening or afternoon, Eminem. I saw the exorcist believer last Friday. My condolences Uh, with my two cents. It felt more like a religious drama than a horror movie. Fair. I haven't seen it, but uh, it makes sense. Two jump scares and one bloody scene. Otherwise, it was kind of meh playing into what you said. Kind of doc before he passed. The director of the original spoke on this one's existence. I'll attach the screenshot. So he's got a screenshot down below. This is a quote from Willie Freakin, who is the director 
of the original Exorcist movie. Um, and the quote is, my signature film is about to be extended by the man who made Pineapple Express. I don't want to be around when that happens. If there is a spirit world and I can come back, I plan to possess David Gordon Green and make his life a living hell. Uh, William Friedkin was known as being a very opinionated individual. He came up as a director doing a lot of uh, documentaries and things like that. He was very much an interesting, interesting individual. And uh, yeah, I haven't seen The Exorcist Believer, although I have um, seen some things about it. And I just can't, to me, it just seems so incredibly misguided. But like, that makes perfect sense to me, knowing that the director is David Gordon Green, who somehow made a really good soft reboot of Halloween in 2018, but then proceeded to make two of the worst films I've ever seen in Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Uh, so I'm not really surprised by what I'm reading about Halloween Believer, but like, well, I hope to have time to have words to say about that film at some point in the future, although I don't know for sure exactly what my plans are yet. So we will see. Uh, this Friday, I'm going to a wedding. I'm kind of nervous. Someone is going to ask me to dance. I don't know how. I'm just a very nervous and anxious person sometimes. How did you guys get through it at your wedding? Well, it's different at your wedding, but I... The notion that you don't know how... I don't know how many dances or weddings you've been to, Nate. But I will tell you this. Especially at a wedding, but really I think at any dance that isn't like a ballroom or, you know, a samba tango sort of thing. The guy does very little. Sure. You get on the dance floor. You move to the beat a little bit. Maybe you snap your finger in sort of that kind of annoying sort of way. Bob your head a little bit. And you kind of like, you know, there's very little you actually need to do you don't there's no steps to memorize um you know if it's a slow song your hands are on their waist their hands are around your neck you sort of sway back and forth um i cannot recall the specifics did you i don't think you and mrs manson had like a choreographed no. first dance no no that's not our style no, no. I, and i will also say i think potentially the absolute most irritating guest you can have at a wedding are the couple who have clearly taken ballroom dancing lessons for, you know, 20 years and feel mm -hmm. the need to just show off across the skills of everybody else uh, there and just, just, you know, take up eight square feet of the dance floor doing their routine, making themselves yeah. the center of everything. I think those people mm -hmm. are some of the worst in existence. I, I guess there is a part of me that can understand wanting to have something for a first dance more than just, again, swaying in the if middle. If you are the bride and the groom and you choose to choreograph, choreograph a dance, I have nothing against you. I am speaking only of when you do this, when you are a guest at someone okay. else's wedding. 
So the people that we know who took dance lessons. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) And then when, you know, somebody who maybe like yourself, Nate, who doesn't dance very much and is very anxious and nervous about that. If you go out to the dance floor and then you have to start fielding comments from these people about how, why do you always do the same thing? Why are you just bobbing your head? Why are you just doing the Charleston over and over again? Can't you do something else? Do something different. Do you have to put up with those sorts of comments from those types of people? Just makes you want to like reach into their chest, rip out their hearts and tell them to go fuck themselves with every fiber of your being. And I frankly, Nate, if that's how you react to being in that situation, I think you'd feel justified. I would be on your side. Now I got to watch and see what the Charleston is. Because that was a funny reference, but I don't actually know what the Charleston. Oh, okay. Let's get back into this. Um, YouTube no longer accepts my ad blocker. And so they were like, we're going to turn off if you don't. Uh, so I figured I would, I would turn to you. What ad blocker should I be using that is smarter than YouTube? Probably you block origin. Okay. I saw that on Reddit. Yeah. So I can't say with a hundred percent certainty because I'm an asshole and I pay for YouTube premium. Ah, okay. We have a trial for it on like <clears throat> the TVs, but in terms of my you these know. days, I do a large majority of my entertainment watching comes from YouTube, and I watch it on a device that does not have access to ad blockers in any way. Sure. And so, so I paid it, it because I'm not paying for any other streaming services, and it's the thing I watch the most. Sure. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I could set up a pie hole or something to intercept that stuff, but it doesn't sound like it works very well with YouTube. They're very aggressive. What, what, in, God, what in God's name is a pie hole? There is a small sort of do-it-yourself piece of silicon, a system on a chip, essentially, called a Raspberry Pi. You might be familiar with it. It's like a $35 yes, computer. That I've heard. And so a lot of times people that write software for these things will come up with funny names. And so pie hole, pie is referencing raspberry pie hole is basically referencing. It's this, um, it's basically a piece of software that acts as a firewall where basically it can block internet exchanges from very specific IP addresses. And so it works as an ad blocker by stopping you receiving transmissions from servers that are known to serve the ads. Um, But YouTube is very aggressive these days. They have actually started serving all of their content from the same servers that they serve the ads from. So I'm actually not sure if a pie hole even works with YouTube anymore. They've again, they've been very aggressive in terms of the bullshit. It makes me so they've been it makes me want to not pay for premium anymore. Yeah. Um, but eh, we'll see. Yeah. At first, I had a message that popped up that was like, you know, we noticed you're using an ad blocker, and there was this little like timer that would go off that was like maybe three or four seconds, and I was like, fine, I'll just wait. And then it was like, after three of these, we'll no, you know, you'll no longer be able to watch videos. And I was like, and so like I have <sighs> my my little server thing, you know, that I do, and so one of the yeah. one of the pieces of software I have on there 
is basically this thing that I've set up where I, I basically have a private playlist on YouTube. And if I add a video, if I save it to that playlist, this piece of software scans that playlist like once an hour and will download any new videos that show up on that playlist. So like I potentially could stop paying for premium, but then I, what I would have to do is I'd have to find a video I want to watch, add it to my playlist, and then wait, wait for it to download, then go to my server, set that up to watch it from there. And like, that would just be what I would do on a regular basis. And like, I could do it, but at the moment, $12 a month is more or less worth it to me. The other thing is I, uh, for a while I experimented with, I subscribed to Apple music and I did Spotify for a little bit. And then I did Mm -hmm. Amazon music. I did that for a long time because that was the cheapest one since I already had prime adding on the extra $5 to get no commercials. There was the least expensive way to do it. Um, but then I, when I said decided that I wanted premium YouTube because I watch most of my videos on the television through the Apple TV that doesn't have an ad blocker, um, that $12 subscription also comes with a subscription to YouTube music. And as I was spending $5 a month anyways for that music thing, I kind of just justified it by putting that $5 over there. So I'm really only spending $7 a month to get the ads for free and whatever. But yeah. Okay. I hate it. Fair I hate it. I just want to sail the seven seas. But I'm lazy. And at the moment, the amount that they're charging is something I'm willing to pay. When yes, Netflix was it. $12, the convenience outweighed, and I paid for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yep. When Netflix became $22 a month for the 4K, yada, yada, it was no longer with the amount of money that they wanted for it. You're constantly evaluating what your time's worth. Yes. Like, yes. Uh, Nate, you're going to be fine. Somebody may ask you to dance. Uh, go out there. Relax, just move. You'll be okay. Uh, I look forward to hearing about it. Um, how did we, we get through it at our wedding? Yeah, uh, we didn't do a lot of dancing. You know, when you're when you're when you're at the wedding, you're you know when you're at your own wedding, you're schmoozing. Yeah, a lot. So you got to go say hi to everybody. Thank you for coming. How are you? Oh, it's great to see you. Um, you know, it's when you start going to other weddings that, you know, that becomes an issue. Agreed. Uh, looks like the twins are going out with a whimper tonight, but it was a fun season. Um, I don't know. Are they playing right now? Let me see. Uh, it's currently 1-1 in the top of the third. I think the twins may force a game, game five. Uh, sorry, Doc. Wes Craven's new nightmare was a little too meta for me. Didn't care for it. And same reason Scream 3 didn't really work for me either. Have a lovely night. You too. Scream 3 is just a bad movie overall. Um, I just think Wes Craven's new nightmare is really clever. It's not the first meta movie, but I've always really appreciated it knowing that, you know, like three years later, Wes Craven would make Scream, which is the one that everybody knows and remembers but he was really testing out a lot of those ideas in this earlier movie. Uh, And the thing I really love about new nightmare is it makes Freddie scary again, which was something that he lost over the course of the series. So I really appreciate it for that as well. I will agree. Certainly that the last act of that film falls apart. The climax of the film is 
mostly too silly. Um, but I still really appreciate the majority of that film. But yeah, you know, didn't work for you. And that's okay. Our next email comes from Danielle, Wrestling Stories and Perceptions. Oh, hey. Did y'all watch any of the so-called Tuesday Night Wars between AEW and WWE last night? No. no. Alas, I did not. I'm more interested in wrestling history than current products. Same. Though eventually the current product will become history at some point, right? Yes. Thank you. I'll eventually watch this. And when we're recording episode 800, I'll report back. I've taken a pause on WCW as I got to the beginning of 1999. I went back and started the SmackDown episodes from later that year. The Triple H, Stephanie McMahon storyline that developed during that time led me to finding this Reddit discussion. And there's a link. PSA, Triple H never drugged slash assaulted Stephanie in 1999. And again, here is a uh, TLDR sort of Reddit discussion. Uh, people look back. Oh, she's quoting quote. People look back at the power play being all Triple H is doing. And a lot of it was, but half of it was Stephanie stepping out from under her father's shadow and paying him back for how he had used her in the past. Uh, and now we've got bullet points. Stephanie clearly states she has feelings for Triple H for a while on the 12, 13, 99 promo. The fake drugging and wedding chapel scene were to coax McMahon into giving Triple H the title shot he wanted and promptly used to win the belt, which worked. This was ultimately payback on Vince for having her nearly forced to marry The Undertaker. Oh, hey, TLDR. Stephanie was an accomplice, not a victim of Triple H's Vegas stunt, and very much married trips under her own accord for her own reasons, end quote. I'll share this archived thread on the Discord and Twitter chats for those that want to read the entire thing and see the links provided. This week's question is about wrestling stories versus perceptions. What is an instance where a story was presented one way, but the perception from the public or hardcore fans was slash is something else? What are current issues with wrestling companies that are because of events from previous wrestling generations? That's all I have for this week because I was going to respond to the past two or three episodes, but I forgot what I was going to say. Cheers, Danielle. P.S. Hello, Jeremy. Is Jeremy back? Uh, if he is and he hasn't said anything to me, he's even deader to me than he was before. Oh, all right. No, I don't believe so. I would, I would <clears throat> love it when he is, but no. Um, great. Uh series of questions. The first thing that jumps to my mind, an instance where a story was presented one way, but the perception back to the attitude era a little earlier. I don't know if it was intentional, but the Bret Hart, Steve Austin thing was originally Bret was the baby face and stone cold was the heel. And I think they did a very nice job of recognizing how the crowd was sort of interpreting it where they were bored of Brett by 97, 98, and they were ready to embrace Stone Cold as the anti-hero they wanted. And that was how at WrestleMania 13, they did the double turn and came out of it with, you know, a much better, more engaging storyline. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what you're referring to, 
But that is an instance where the story was presented one way and the fans sort of turned it on its head. Do you have anything for these? Or are these a little too meta for you right now? I know you're very much out of the wrestling. I mean, someone in the WWE thought it was a good idea for Triple H to have sex with a corpse. Yeah. And the audience, I'm pretty sure more or less right away said, no, no, that's that's not a great idea. I don't think that's exactly the spirit of what Danielle's going for here, but it's definitely the audience rejecting a storyline, which probably wasn't what they intended, right? Yeah, I think that's kind of it. It's the, you know, you there are certain gimmicks that, and again, you're talking about Sleepaway Camp. We're watching, we're looking at this from a 2023 lens. So I'm watching Eugene, who is a major part of the Raw storylines to a level that I did not. Oh, yeah. You have, I haven't seen Muhammad Hassan yet, but he's bound to show up at some point unless he is completely just removed from. And the thing I will also say Um, about Muhammad Hassan, which makes it all the worse. Like, I think like his first appearance, he was like, I am. This is me paraphrasing. He was like, I am a Muslim, but I'm not just a one-dimensional villain character. And then, like, the next week, he was a one-dimensional villain character. That was the thing that I found most offensive about Muhammad Hassan, was they pivoted so quickly. They tried to do right. And then they so quickly just turned around and was like, no, fuck this guy. He's a fucking Muslim. Like, it was... It was it was embarrassing. And I even at the time, I knew it was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's it. You know, that lasted a while. Eugene has been lasting a while. But I just watched within the span of probably two weeks real time for me. I watched the rise and disappearance of Mordecai. Yeah. Like, OK, so it was presented as he was some sort of weird kind of religious, kind of cult leader, what if the Undertaker had gotten bleached sort of character, and within six weeks and three matches, he's gone and we're never going to talk about him again. Um, I'm watching Kenzo Suzuki, who is one-note villainous character. Um so, you know, it you, you have to try to figure out how were they trying to present some of these. And then, you know, I've, for a lot of times, the fans are just like, no. Or in the case of Eugene, they were like, sure. Despite the fact that this is in fairly poor taste, even though we're giving him, you know, we're making him a fan favorite and we're giving him all this stuff to do. It is still in poor taste. Um so, yeah, that's interesting. What are current issues with wrestling companies that are because of events from previous wrestling generations? You know, everyone compares AEW to WCW. I don't think that's entirely fair. They just both happen to be going up against WWE. And they both happen to be bankrolled by billionaires with hobbies. 
and they both involved, you know, a prominent member of the Rhodes family for a while. But um, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily sure I have one that because of events from previous rest, you know. I will say that is that is the thing that I don't want to say scares me the most about AEW, but if Tony Khan wakes up tomorrow and says, I, I'm done with this toy chest. AEW is just done, right? Like yeah. it's just gonna disappear over the most part. Um for the most more part. or less like they've WCW got, did. They've got their they've got their TV deals and they've got all of that sort of stuff. Um you know, th- so the issue that I see with AEW right now, and I'm sure there's plenty, and I don't watch the product, so it's really not even fair for me to say it, but the number of times that Tony Khan took to Twitter over the past 72 hours to either take little shots at um, WWE or to argue with fans or to, you know, just annoyingly promote his product. That's not a, that isn't because of an event from previous wrestling generations, but it is the, you know, uh, but uh, WWF kind of did it with the huckster and the nacho man and all of that sort of stuff. Like they were the little guy needs to poke and prod to try to get the big guy's attention. And actually in not, if you go to 95, 94, 95, you could make an argument that WWF was the little guy, despite the fact that they had been around and were the more famous company the biggest wrestling star on the planet took a bunch of his friends and went somewhere else. So all the attention was on um, WCW. And, and at that point, the WWF had Bret Hart, a young unproven Shawn Michaels and a bunch of cartoon characters. So it was uh, it was a tricky time, but it's just get off of social media. You know, WWE doesn't need to do that because they're clear and they won. You know, the, supposedly, according to the ratings, they had more, more than 300,000 more fans that tuned into NXT than AEW. Is that fair? No, AEW is on a different night. I bet a bunch of people didn't know that. They'll watch tonight and be confused it's not on. But it's, just, I don't know. Tony Khan bothers me, and I agree. At some point, either somebody's going to pull the money out from under him or he's going to decide he's going to go off and do something else. And then AEW screwed. Our last two emails are from the dear Mrs. Manson glimmers of hope. Hello from the other side of COVID mostly while I'm still without most of my sense of smell and sense of taste, I'm largely recovered. Otherwise I've had glimmers of hope when I could smell a little bit of lemon hand soap or perfume. I think I tasted a little bit of cocoa today in a chocolate cookie. Lots of people say it could take six weeks or more before things get better, which makes me a little sad. But I know this is only a minor inconvenience compared to how many other people have fared. Send good vibes to me and my crimpled sensory neurons. We'll be getting flu shots this week, and I encourage everyone else to get one and a COVID booster, too. Stay healthy, besties, near and far. In other news, we haven't yet started watching Bake Off. Only now, just starting in on this season of Only Murders in the Building. So far, I'd give the season a 3 out of 10. That's the report from Manson Manor. Over and out, Mrs. M. We have kind of fallen off of 
you know, as much as I like Meryl Streep, and I do. Um, I believe you, you know, mean Helen how- Mirren. I had a moment where I was like, wait, is that? No, we, we, no, that's we had a, a evening when we were watching the first episode where Mrs. Manson said, hey, look, it's Helen Mirren. And I frequently do not recognize celebrities like I, I'm, I think and I think I'm partially like face blind in some ways. And I didn't say anything out loud, but in my head, I said, I think that's Meryl Streep. <laughs> and it wasn't long before later in the episode, Mrs. Manson was like, oh, I, I was I was mixed. That's Meryl Streep. And I was like, oh, and I was I felt justified somewhere in the back of my head. I was like, yes, I got one. Yeah. Um, but so anyways, that was an yeah. inside joke, uh, DC. And as we all know, uh, explaining <laughs> jokes always makes them funnier. So I'm happy to bring you into the fold. Thank you. Yeah, I. Uh, I think I think the problem is for this season for me. We watched season one and two over the summer, so we were able to watch them all kind of boom, 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 boom. Um, and now the whole waiting a week sort of thing, we've just kind of stopped and eventually we'll catch up. But I also think just unequivocally, they traded in the extra star power for not as much to do. The thing that I am noticing about this latest season is the first two seasons of this show is about a group. uh, It's about an odd couple pairing. There's three of them. It's not a couple, but yes, an odd thruple. It's an odd thruple pairing in which um, they are doing something which I guess isn't that modern anymore, but ostensibly they're creating a podcast, right? That is what they're doing. And the podcast is a true crime podcast about somebody who died, and they're actually actively investigating and so forth, right? Uh, One of the big problems I'm having with this season is they've talked about the show being back and how they are sort of investigating. But, like, we are four episodes down at this point. There there is no podcast. Like, it's not about the podcast this season. It's about this stage production. And it's just not as interesting. I liked that conceit of the show, that they were recording a show, and each episode they were maybe recording a little bit more of another episode, and you were getting those audio snippets, right? Like, that's just all gone now. Like, the whole central conceit has been dropped, essentially. Mm. Again, there's it's there a little bit in lip service, but... Again, four episodes in, and it's basically might as well not be there. And the other thing is, despite the fact that, yes, there is some additional star power, um, we've got Meryl Streep, of course, and we also have uh, Paul Rudd. Um, but this season feels a lot smaller than the last two seasons. Um, that show that 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 Broadway show that is sort of taking the center stage here um, for whatever reason like they had an opening night but obviously they can't Mm -hmm. keep having more shows but now they're just suddenly back in rehearsals and they're not even rehearsing in the stage for for story reasons the rehearsals are all just happening in Martin Short's apartment like it feels like most of the scenes, most of every episode is just being filmed in this one location. 
And mm. again, as somebody who pays attention to these sorts of things, it makes this season feel very small. Like they were not given yeah. much of a budget from Hulu and said, well, we'll just write around it and we'll do what we can with a single location. Well, or they spent all the budget on Paul Rudd and potentially and right. Meryl Streep. And, and yeah, it just, it just feels small compared to the other. And don't get me wrong. These weren't which grand is, shows to begin which with. Which is funny because the, the whole premise is it takes place in a building. But in season one and two, they did a very nice job expanding the world of the building. Yep. Like at some point, you know, the characters in season one, I think it is go out to, you know, some other part of the greater Manhattan area to like track down a lead or to go to talk to somebody. But mostly it's the three apartments. It's the lobby. It's the hallway. Maybe it's out on the roof or something. There's also like that, that diner they but would the, go to. Yes, like, they are using there were locations. They are using like the. Yeah. It, and, and this is a weird comparison. Seinfeld. Seinfeld mainly took place in one apartment or Kramer's apartment or, you know, Monk's Diner or the street outside. You know, you occasionally went other places, but that was sort of the hub and you were able to do that. I understand. I think Mabel has moved out in season three, but it's just, it, I don't know. I'm not. And again, I think we may have also skipped part of season two. This has never been our favorite show. I think show, season one was very good. Season one, we Season enjoyed. two season was, two for me, was, was fine. Season one, very good. Season two was okay. Fine. Yeah, it was fine. Fine. But it wasn't yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to I wanna watch this one, but I kind of want to watch it like over a week. I think it's all out now. You know, this is, maybe yeah. that's it. This is not a show that's grabbing me. You know, we're watching um, the morning show, which is kind of hit or miss. We did watch episode two of the Bake Off last week. I'm still there's one character I we have an attachment to. Um, I we haven't really. I love the uh, fact that you call it a character and not contestants. I'm I with you. Like, you they, know, it, they're yeah. they're characters on that uh, show. Sandro last year was absolutely yes. a character. Like that's the secret know. to and pretty again, much all quote unquote reality television. It's all scripted. Everybody's yeah. playing characters. Or even if it's or even if it's not scripted, it's like we are leading. I don't think Raul is the nervous, terrified person that Raul is. Like there's a we again, we rewatch every year when the new season comes out, we wind up rewatching. There's one season, there's one episode where he's talking about something and he's like, but then you drink some milk and he takes a sip of milk and he almost does this little eyebrow thing. And I'm like, you know what you're fucking doing, yes. Raul. You were, yeah. And when so. I spice scripted, I don't necessarily mean every line of dialogue is scripted. No, but we know where they're we're given going. characters, they're given purposes. You have to create this type of tension in this scene because this is the story mm. we're telling this week and this season. Yeah. And we have to build. Them. Yeah. One. Well, yeah, well, and, and, you know, we're going to ask you six questions, two of which are heading in the direction we want. We're hoping that one of those two is good enough that that's all we're putting right. in. So uh, Mrs. Manson chimes in again with Fat Bear Week. Hi, again, one more thing. I forgot to mention Fat Bear Week. Despite having been with Doc Manson for almost over 15 years, apparently I never mentioned the most wonderful time of year known as Fat Bear Week until this I year. I never heard of it before. 
Every year, the National Parks <clears throat> Service celebrates the success and survival of bears in Katmai National Park in Alaska. They take pictures of their bears in the early summer and again in the fall and watch their transformations. D.C., you'd love it. I do love me a fat bear. They set up a bracket. Ooh. And each day for a week, people can vote on the bears before and after pictures. You see them go from skinny after hibernation in the early summer to plump bears in the fall. Only one bear can reign supreme and win fat bear week. I feel like we have talked about this. Technically, they're all winners in my book. I recommend checking it out. Uh, Explore.org slash fat hyphen bear hyphen week. Cheers, Mrs. M. Now I'm looking here. A bears, skinny bears are terrible. <laughs> All right. Well, there we have it there, friends. Thank you to Mrs. Manson and to Nate and Danielle and Tim and Glenn uh, for chiming in, letting us know how you're doing. Doc Manson, uh, as we pass the 90-minute mark here on this week's episode. Wow. Uh, what's going on? What's exciting? What's fun? What's wonderful? Give me your piece of positivity uh, that's going to get you through the week. It's hmm. a good question. Um, I hope that I am able to come to agreement with GQ to go and see a film and then talk about it. And that reminds me that he texted me about this maybe a couple days ago, and I never responded. I'm going to do that right after this, GQ. But you'll know that already, because I'll have responded before you hear this. I hope. Yeah, I'm realizing that uh, I sent you a message yesterday. I fell off the wagon with my text messages. I do that from time to time. Well, it's... So here's what I find interesting. <clears throat> Yesterday at 425, I said, how was the weekend everyone recovering? The fact that you resp didn't respond is not what I find okay. interesting. The fact that I sent it at 425, you apparently read it at 424. So you are a time traveler, which might be why you can't. I think I didn't because. read it until 424 the following day. So almost exactly 24 yeah. hours. So that's later. the thing. As I've said this before, my, my phone does not always give me like the lock screen notification that someone has texted me. And I am bad with texts in general. So like my icon on my home screen has the little red badge with a number in it for like unread messages. So like even that's not a tip off to me that I have an actual unread text to read. And so I think I didn't see it until I went in there today because Mrs. Manson was texting me about something. I did get the notification on my watch. I grabbed my phone. I opened the app. I saw the, I had one from you and I read it. And I was like, at that point, I was like, well, I'm going to fucking talk to him in two hours. So I'll just fill him in then. That's content for the show, baby. I appreciate it. Now I'm good. No, okay. What were you going to Google? I, I'm on our uh, email, and I was just seeing. I was like, I swear we talked about Fat Bear Week, so I just 
search for emails with Fat Bear, and there's only one from Mrs. Matthews. I don't recommend going to just Google in general and searching for Fat Bears, especially not in the image search tab, especially not with safe search uh, turned off. I'm going to search Fat Bears wet because they're, you know, a lot of the pictures are them like in the river doing their salmon yeah, fishing. I don't recommend it. I'm going to. Oh, dear God. Um, my piece of positivity this weekend, we uh, traveled up north, not as far as uh, we sometimes go, but uh, we saw some of the extended family. We saw our nephews. We have a soon to be six year old and a two year old. Um, and, you know, the the six year old, I believe, is having a little bit of difficulty uh, with the amount of attention that the two year old needs not even just like it's he's having a little bit of difficulty being the older brother i mean in fairness i am 40 years old you put me in the room with a two-year-old i also am jealous with the amount of attention (laughs) that two-year-old is getting so i understand kid and and so you know uh he sprinted down the hallway jumped up into my arms essentially (laughs) and you know so I got the chance to to hang out with him, who's very cool. Uh, I did hang out with the two-year-old, who's also very cool. Um, but he was being doted on by others. So it was mainly just me and the six-year-old. Uh, but yeah, it was lovely to, to see family and had some uh, delightful steak and chicken fajitas at a lovely uh, Mexican restaurant that we Would went you say to. that um, six-year-olds are your people? Like, if you're uh, at a family event, are you going to seek out the six-year-olds? This, that side of the family, yeah. for sure. Okay. That side of the, that side of the family, we are, we are the kid bunch. Um, you know, both of us being educators. And I would say for my wife, the three to five-year-old is her wheelhouse. I kind of have the six to nine sort of wheelhouse. Okay. Um you know, so it makes sense that my nephew is not quite at the age that I would teach, but he's approaching right, that. Right, right. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was nice. Again, had some good Mexican. I convinced him to he he normally gets fried ice cream apparently at this restaurant, but then I was looking at the dessert menu and I was just talking other stuff, and then he decided he wanted to try flan, so he got some flan and seemed to enjoy it. He ate almost all of it, so. You know that that was entertaining. Help him uh, branch out a little. I had a had a weird experience. We we walked. You know the their house is near a playground, so we walked to the playground, and it was a Sunday, so there were other families with kids, and I'm playing with the six year old and the two year old. Most parents are kind of on the perimeter, but I'm like in it. And so now I'm getting, not only am I playing essentially hide and seek with the six-year-old, but now there are other children I don't <laughs> know who are trying to play and are like, chase me, chase me. And I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, that's a police incident waiting to happen. That's that's it. That was it. I was like, uh, this is <laughs> I'm t- to To someone who doesn't know me, I'm terrifying near your child. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so. Uh, but yes, that was lovely. It was a lovely weekend to sort of get away and and do something uh, 
fun and different. So, my friends, once again, you have spent uh, almost two hours in the bosom of your loving besties. You have to phrase uh, it here. that way. <laughs> I don't okay, have to, but I All chose right, okay. to. Uh, do you not want to be bosom besties? Uh, you know what? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. We were not bosom buddies. No. But we could be bosom right. besties. Okay. All right. Uh, please, again, I'll remind you, your homework assignment, I would like an email heaping <laughs> praise upon Doc Manson for his fantastic teachery. Doc Manson, anything else you would like to say before we head out? Well, if you'd like to have your thoughts right in the air, send us an email podcast at ddtwrestling.com. We had a strong showing of emails from besties this week, and I'd love to have a similarly strong showing next time. Our Baker's That'd be dozen. ideal. Uh, and finally, if you like what you've heard, not sure how that's possible, but hey, weirder things have happened. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash DDT wrestling to give just a little bit of financial support to DC and Doc. It does help us keep the lights on. It keeps this podcast train chugging along. He is Doc Manson at Doc Manson. My name is DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. You don't need to spend 11 to 20 hours studying for our show. Until we meet again, my friends, though I wish you would, won't you be our besties?